the mission had taken us to an abandoned, top-secret American military base in Gaza. Reports of dead soldiers had sparked our deployment. My SEAL team and I were tasked with a recon mission to uncover the truth behind these unsettling occurrences. As we approached the base, a chilling unease settled in our chests, and the sense of desolation was palpable. The base appeared deserted at first glance, the eerie silence a stark contrast to the once bustling hub of military activity. We moved cautiously, our senses heightened, and our weapons at the ready, but it wasn't long before we realized that the base was not as lifeless as we had believed. While searching through the dimly lit corridors and derelict buildings, we came face to face with a nightmare. I'll never forget the moment we first encountered them. A large, dark figure loomed ahead, walking upright, its form a grotesque aberration. It stood only about ten feet away from us, swathed in shadow. This creature was unlike anything we had ever encountered, with no visible neck, a nose that pointed upward, and a total absence of discernible eyes. Before we could react, the creatures lunged at us with a ferocity that sent shivers down our spines. Their attacks were relentless, and in the ensuing battle, we lost two of our team members. We fought back with all our might, our weapons blazing. The creatures, although horrifying and grotesque, were not invincible, and we managed to kill the majority of them, and the rest retreated into the nearby wilderness, their eerie cries echoing in the distance. As the dust settled and the adrenaline began to wane, we regrouped, devastated by the loss of our comrades. With heavy hearts, we searched the base further and discovered the bodies of the missing soldiers. We collected their dog tags, a somber reminder of the falling. On our return to the extraction point, we couldn't help but discuss what we had witnessed. We knew that our report would be met with skepticism and incredulity. How could we possibly convey the unearthly horrors we had faced in that forsaken military base? The creatures, unlike anything we had ever encountered in our military careers, defied explanation. As we began to speculate on whether the general would believe our story, I couldn't help but wonder if the dark secret hidden within the base would ever be revealed. The enigmatic, nightmarish creatures we had encountered were a chilling testament to the hidden depths of military operations, and we were left with more questions than answers as we made our way back to safety. It was October 2012. Me and my grandfather were hunting for white-tailed deer on his property in a little ran downtown called Reedy, West Virginia. We were not having any luck at the first few spots, so we moved to a different location down towards the bottom of his property. This place always gave me the creeps, because everything down there seemed to be dead. The trees, grass, and there were basically never wildlife in this area. Well, after us sitting there for about 30-40 minutes of not seeing anything we were about to move, that's when I seen it. There was this very odd-looking creature that kind of looked like a horse with a wolf face, with this very rough and decay look to its fur and skin, and was just walking through the field we were watching over, when it stepped right over the fence, and keep in mind, this fence was made to keep horses in, so this thing was quite big, at least bigger, than anything that should have been in those woods. My grandfather is dead now, so I am the last person to have physically seen this thing. So if any of you have any idea what this could have been, that would be very appreciated.
family, and I used to live in a really old house built sometime in the 1830s. Hated the house from the day we moved in. It just had a really weird vibe to it, and from the outside it looked a lot like the house in the first Conjuring movie, which did not really help. Curious, it did not take many weeks of living there before something happened. One night I woke up with a dark shadowy figure of a man in the middle of my bedroom. The figure was slowly walking towards me. I felt the most horrible sense of dread and fear that I have ever felt in my life as the figure moved closer towards me. I heard a loud whispering from multiple voices coming from everywhere in the room. My body was frozen and I could barely tilt my head and roll my eyes in horror. As the figure reached me, it touched my chest and as it made contact with me, I felt this horrible sadness and emotional pain that I just cannot explain. Naturally, I told my parents and wanted to switch bedrooms, but they never believed me. We had to sleep in that same room for three years before we finally moved away. I kept having horrible nightmares from time to time during those three years, and they always involved the same shadow figure attacking me in a number of ways. Since we moved, I have never experienced anything like it again, which I am extremely grateful for. When I was younger, I saw a demonic possession. More accurately, I saw someone who was possessed. I've talked and written about this before, but as of late, I've wanted to talk about it again. Apologies in advance if there are any issues with my typing. I'm on mobile. So I was young. I can't say exactly what age, but my brother five years, my elder, was old enough to operate the soundboard at the church my family attended. This was a night service on Sunday, around 6 p.m. in either late fall or early winter. I remember that when services ended it was dark out, but not dead of night dark, and services ended at around 8 p.m. And my brother were in the back of the room, where services were held by the soundboard. My grandfather, who was watching us, is also the pastor at said church. He was, and still is, a man of dogma and strong faith who has told stories about demonic possessions, faith healing, and divine intervention. My grandfather was in the back with us, making sure that my brother understood what he had to do to operate the soundboard, and I was trying to learn a thing or two about it, since the large board of dials and levers looked like magic to me. And walks a woman. This woman is young, maybe 25, but she looks bad. Her hair is disheveled, she's got bags under her eyes, and she looks very pale. However, she does not look homeless. She's wearing nice clothes, lifts and some jewelry. I don't recall having seen this woman before. She quietly takes a seat at the front of the room by the altar and pulpit. Service begins with 10 minutes of hymns, as usual from these thick green books that the church has about a hundred of. The woman doesn't stand or participate, but she's quiet and not distracting. Then my grandfather takes to the pulpit. He begins his sermon, which I can't remember what it was on, because I was focused on the woman who is now rocking in her seat. Weird. My brother is trying to get the recording hardware attached to the sound system to work. The issue isn't that it won't record, however. The issue is that when my brother put a disc in to record, it broke. It was fine for the morning service and no settings were touched on the recording system. The disc literally broke in half. Service goes on with the woman getting more distracting until the service ends and me and my brother are escorted out. 
everyone else goes home without staying to talk, which is unusual. I sat on the walkway with my brother and grandmother outside the church, while my grandfather and the officers of the church were inside with the woman. I could hear verses from the Bible being recited, screaming, and I saw the lights flickering through the window and the door. About ten minutes later they all come out, and the woman looks much better. The bags under her eyes are gone. Her hair is still a mess, but it looks shinier and healthy. And she thanks my grandfather before getting into her car and leaving. I'd fully say this was just a woman with mental illness if not for the way the sound system acted and the way that she changed when all was said and done. To start off, I'd like to make it clear that this was my first schizophrenic episode. At the time, I had no idea I had the condition. It had been a stressful day, and I desperately needed a break. I decided to pull over into a forested park to take a walk and clear my mind. The calming atmosphere of the woods seemed like the perfect remedy for my frazzled nerves. After a while, I headed back to my truck, feeling a bit more relaxed. But as I approached, I saw something that stopped me dead in my tracks. There was a man hanging from a tree nearby. Panic surged through me, and I couldn't take my eyes off the gruesome sight. The man's head appeared to be decomposed, his mouth hanging open in a grotesque way. He was wearing a navy blue mechanic jacket with a name tag, and his lower body was missing. Terrified, I scrambled back into my truck and hid below the back seats. My heart pounded in my chest, and I couldn't shake the horrifying image from my mind. I stayed there, hidden and trembling, for eight straight hours. Eventually, I learned that what I'd seen was just a mind-created illusion, a result of my first schizophrenic episode. Urge it was, but even though it wasn't real, the vivid memory of that horrifying scene still haunts me to this day. The PTSD it caused remains a constant reminder of the power and fragility of the human mind. I had just finished doing laundry in the basement, and as I gathered my clothes, I couldn't help but feel a chill run down my spine. I had always been slightly unnerved by the basement, but today the feeling was stronger than ever. Despite my discomfort, I shrugged it off and began my ascent towards the staircase. As I walked, I suddenly noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I turned my head and to my utter disbelief, I saw a misty apparition floating in the air. It was the ghostly figure of a head, adorned with a powdered wig reminiscent of the 18th century. I couldn't believe my eyes, and I stood there frozen as the mysterious figure drifted slowly across the room, blinked a few times, trying to convince myself that it was just a figment of my imagination. But the apparition remained, very much present and real. It was as if it was beckoning me to follow, and I couldn't help but feel strangely drawn to it. The ethereal figure continued to float, moving closer and closer to the wall, and held my breath, unsure of what would happen next. As the apparition reached the wall, it didn't stop. Instead, it disappeared right into it, as if the solid barrier was of no consequence. I stared at the spot where the ghostly figure had vanished, trying to make sense of what I had just witnessed. And I couldn't help but wonder if the apparition was somehow connected to the house's history, or if it was a message from the past, attempting to reach out to me. With a racing heart and questions swirling in my mind, 
I made my way up the stairs and back to the safety of the main floor. And one thing was for certain. I would never forget the day I encountered the mysterious powdered wig apparition in the basement. I had two eerie experiences out in the bush while working in Colombia and Africa. I was not hunting either time, but it was definitely wilderness, so I guess that qualifies for this thread. When we lived in Bogota, Colombia, I traveled to the Amazon on several occasions for work. On one occasion, I took the family to the river town of Leticia, which is on the Amazon River where Colombia, Peru, and Brazil all meet. Leticia was one of the safest towns in Colombia since it is so far from anything even the FARC and ELN guerrillas didn't have much of a presence in the area. Leticia is kind of a frontier town, like I imagine St. Louis was in the 1830s. Within 3-4 hours by boat from Leticia, you still have tribes in the Javari Valley that have had none to very limited contact with the outside world. Men from the Tacuna, Huaydo, and Yagua tribes come into town to trade, sell skins on the black market, etc. There are some men who are both fluent in Spanish Portuguese and the many Indian languages of the area, and they act as a go-between and often travel for weeks into the forest to trade. One one trip, we took a boat upriver about two hours to Puerto Norino and I found a Ticuna Indian. Since the area north and west of there is Ticuna land, with a canoe with an outbound motor who agreed to take us north on the little tributaries and fish, to birding, etc. He told us about a tree that kills other trees, so we decided to go check that out and see if it was real. There were certain areas of the forest that he was very leery about, and said that we could not stop as there were evil spirits in that part of the forest. The Tikuna we talked with also described a lot of animals that are not recognized by science and were not in any of the field guidebooks I have. It was interesting because they didn't exaggerate these animals as being special or unique. For example, when I asked about what cats there were, they described a jaguar, puma, ocelot, marguey, and a cat about the size of a puma but with much longer canine teeth than the rest. Both Tikuna I talked with spoke about this cat just as matter of fact they did about a jaguar, peccary, snakes, etc. without sounding excited or trying to get me interested. On the same trip, we also spent some time with a Hidotu guide in the area due north of Leticia. We got to a small village where they had just killed a jaguar that had attacked a hunter. The Hutoto also believe in a lot of the same animals that the Takuna guy told me about, but they are adamant about being out of certain areas by dark when they believe El Dueno de la Selva Lord of the forest walks around. They described it as a dwarf-like, being that has feet pointing backwards and can imitate any voice. They give a small offering any time they hunt to pay safe passage in order to hunt and kill an animal. This being will often lure children out into the forest by imitating the voices of their parents, telling the child to go deeper and deeper into the forest until they are lost, and even their best trackers would lose the kid's sign at a certain point, as if the tracks suddenly disappeared, and there were only a set of human-like tracks that appeared, and be walking backwards. I know that a lot of indigenous tribes are very superstitious, and believe in things that we think are strange, like they think some of the stuff we believe is crazy, but it was interesting to see experienced hunters that had just killed a jaguar with spears 
be absolutely terrified about a small dwarf-like creature that lures children away to their deaths. But there were a few times out there when the hair on your arms would stand up and you would feel that you were being watched. Most of the area is triple canopy, so it is fairly dark even during the day, and your eyes get tired and play tricks. Sometimes it would look like there was a man up ahead, but when you got there it was some twisted vines. GPS didn't work because of the canopy, and all the creeks look the same, except where there is occasionally a fallen log to cross over on. But it was weird because that haunting feeling only occurred at certain times, even though the entire trip was in similar terrain and vegetation. We also saw jaguar prints on top of our tracks that we had left two hours before, so I know there were lots of sets of eyes watching us. But that didn't phase the Hito who we were with. It was that other thing that they feared. I live in East Tennessee and red wolves aren't even supposed to be here. But I looked up wolves on the internet, and I promise this is what I seen. I sit on my porch smoking and on my phone at all hours, it was about 4 a.m. quiet, which is unusual since I live in the mountains. Closest neighbors were about one half mile away. My hackles stand up as I'm engulfed in something on my phone, so I look up. I look around and I don't see it at first, but this wolf was only about 15 feet from me. My porch is about 8 feet high one way up and down. Now I see coyotes almost every night. I'll just stomp my foot and they run off. I was so shocked. I couldn't mow at first. This thing was just huge and not moving at all looking at me. I pull myself together and stomp my foot. This thing never even twitched a muscle or moved. I'm terrified. I slowly stand up, never taking my eyes off of it, and back into my house. I instantly go to the window and look out and poof gone. I walked around my home looking out every window nothing. We have motion light on each corner of our house that are set off constantly. But somehow this thing didn't trigger them. No one believe me when I say I saw a wolf, especially one that big. But we have those concrete deer in our yard, not far from where this happened. This wolf made them look tiny. It was also so broad. I will admit I have never seen a wolf before, but this thing terrified me. The fact it never even twitched when I stomped my foot and just stared at me. Like damn, I get chills every time I think of this. I've been on fishing and hunting trips in the Amazon, and it's a very wild and powerful place. Spent some time going deep into the other world with shamans before a hunt, having apes blown through a snuff cane into my nose to induce a vision quest, talking with animal spirits that I was later hunting. Lots of strange creatures and supernatural forces in that jungle. My most eerie story was actually in Northern California. I was setting up camp one evening in the summer on a remote logging trail. It was hot and muggy, so I decided to walk down to a stream wearing nothing but a towel and go for a dip to cool off. On my way back to camp, as I was walking up the trail, I saw what looked at first like a doe walking towards me. I stopped and watched it getting closer to, and as it came into focus, I noticed a big circular head and thick black tail that swung to the side. OS, I said out loud as I realized it was a mountain lion, and a big one. Just then it looked up at me, and we stared at each other for a moment. And I raised my hands up to try and look bigger, realizing I had no weapon and was half naked. The cat looked at me, and in one hop jumped into the scrub oak. I made some noise, collected myself, 
and continued on back to camp after waiting a few minutes. I got back to my camp about an hour later, and the sun had gone down. I was lighting my camp stove to cook dinner. I turned on my headlamp and kind of stared at the ground, thinking about what had happened earlier. I even thought it was kind of cool to be able to see such an elusive animal. It was at that moment I felt a chill go up my back. Some primal instinct from deep in my brain was telling me something was very wrong. I turned around and looked into the tree above me. About 15 feet away was the shadowy figure of that same circular head I saw earlier. My eyes were locked onto me and glowed bright yellow. The cat knew I saw and crouched into a pouncing position. I felt absolute terror and I was now being hunted. This cat had been stalking and watching me the entire time, deciding when to make its move. One leap, I made it into the back of my pickup truck and slammed the topper down. I could have won Olympic medal for the distance I covered in that one move. It still gives me the shivers every time I think about it. The cat had me fair and square. One second later, and it could have had the back of my neck in its mouth, and it would have been over for me. The air part is that I was no longer a hunter, but was stalked for almost an hour without ever realizing it. On Thursday, May 4, 2023, between 6-7 p.m. in Snellville, Georgia, I was standing outside the police station and saw a shiny brown cigar-shaped object flying vertically northeast. It was moving smoothly and fast. I pulled my phone out and tried to get a video of it, but it was hard to get it and had to look back at the sky. It was gone as far as I know. What I could see was a large bird now flying around in circles. Later that night around 12 a.m., I was on the phone with a friend and the network cut off and was out for 30 minutes or so. It came back on and I was talking to my friend again and made the comment, either a UFO went by or a tower went down. Around 4 a.m., I got the feeling to lay in the bed and passed out immediately. I woke up at 8.35 a.m. and went to take a shower. I took my shirt off, which I was wearing when I fell asleep, and had two sticky black circles on each side of my chest where my piece meet my deltoids and collarbones. The shapes were round, three by three inches, and the left one was a little smeared, and it was sticky to the touch, but wiped off easily with tissue, almost like it was dry, and then I took a shower. Now I wanted to keep it, but kept getting this subtle subconscious feeling not to and threw it away. Have you heard of anyone having a black residue left on their body? I've had many experiences starting in 1977 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it was kind of creepy seeing the circles, but I was calm about it. I think it was for my own good. They've made it clear they don't like it when I talk too much or what I talk about. But I know the time is there when I should. As a park ranger, you become immune to many weird things. Strange figures in the woods, unnatural looking animals, or even the downright paranormal. After a point, you kind of just live with it. The rule is if you don't interfere in matters that don't concern you, you'll be safer for the most part. I hope the rule works, because sometimes situations get far too real and scary. They get far, far too real. Granted, not every ranger experiences the paranormal. While most of us lived somewhat adventurous lives, some more than others, 
there's also a category of rangers who wouldn't consider their job anything but mundane. To this day, I belonged in the middle of the spectrum, that something happened last week, and while I would have liked to ignore it as I usually do, I don't think I can. My partner, who we'll call Carlos, had patrol duty for the night. We have both been relocated and recently moved into this cabin somewhere in the corner of the park, where several other rangers have stayed in the past. It's a decent little space, two adjoining rooms and a tiny little bath, not very spacious, but who am I to demand luxury in the middle of nowhere, and at a job like this anyway? Around 7pm, we had some tea, read some news, and put on our gear leaving the cabin. There aren't many other rangers stationed nearby at the moment, so we had a lot of ground to cover. I didn't mind. I liked walking in the dark. Sure, it had been scary for my initial years as a ranger, but over time, I found it to be very peaceful. This is weird, I know, but the peace for me is very real. We walked for an hour straight in silence before finally getting bored and making some small talk. Carlos started by cracking some pathetically lame jokes, which somehow transitioned into horror stories. He belonged to an orthodox home and strongly believed in the paranormal for a guy from New Jersey. He definitely has some good scares up his sleeve. Around what I guess was two or three in the morning, we sat down on a tree that had fallen near B. I took out some juice I'd brought with me and handed him one. They had felt unnaturally cold for the weather then, and there was actual condensation on the outside. In hindsight, that should have been a major flag. As we drank, Carlos shared more stories. He was telling me about some flying vinegar-dipped vampire from the Philippines when I heard a groan. My instinct told me it was an injured creature, but it didn't feel like the groan of an animal. It felt human-like, that of an older woman grunting in pain it was very distinct. Carlos and I jumped up from the log at the same time. He had heard it too. I nodded at him, and he pointed his flashlight in the direction of the sound. It came again, albeit a little more distant this time. I called out, but there was no response, with my right hand on my firearm, and my flashlight in the left. I followed the direction of the voice, calling out repeatedly. The groan came yet again, and we increased our pace. I was in front while Carlos quickly trailed behind, calling out a series of hellos and is anybody there, like a broken record. After a minute or so of walking, we discovered the source of the voice, and in front of us was a short, pale old woman in a black cape, facing towards us but looking straight down and mumbling something. She was bald and her cape was very baggy and tattered. I instantly sensed something unnatural. It creeped the heck out of me. However, in the off chance that this was a human, we were obligated to help her. Carlos approached the woman, asking if she was hurt. When she looked up, her face was wrong. In the dim light, I could see the manifestation of the unnaturalness. I'd felt a second ago. Her eyes were pitch black, as if nothing was there and she looked at Carlos with those alien eyes. Even her skin was dead-looking, a dark blue. He froze in his tracks. Her mouth was basically a huge gash in her face that went ear to ear. This lady, or whatever this thing was, put on her hood and shifted her gaze towards me, speaking something telepathically before just vanishing in the middle of nowhere, almost like she disintegrated. I staggered, fell backward, unsure of what to even think. Her movements were even unnatural and inhuman, just like her appearance. I don't know how to describe it, but was this an alien or a demon? 
looked over at Carlos, his face whiter than it had ever been, and he knelt down, saying an audible prayer. It was only after a while that I found the strength to get up, my legs still shaking violently, but they still worked. They felt extremely cold and empty, but somehow I found the strength and helped Carlos up. We made our way straight back to the cabin, following the markers on the trees. They poured some hot tea while he sat at the table with his head in his hands. Now it was about 5 a.m., and God knows how much time we had spent sitting there on the ground, too weak to get up. I tried discussing what we had seen, but he wouldn't respond, so I left it alone. Around 9 a.m. I called my superior, told them what had happened. He told me to get back to the job, asked me if we had been drinking while at work. They weren't much help, so I hung up on him. We had somehow, again, almost broken the rule and interfered. As long as we didn't do it again, we would be safe. The incident was very traumatizing. No sane person would believe me when I say, we went back to the forest every night, after and still do. The rule is supposed to protect us, and we had faith in it. At least I hope it does. This job has meant everything to me, and I don't have a plan B, so I'm hoping I don't encounter this stuff anymore. I try to look around and see if there's anything I could use as a reference before posting this, so when you read it you would understand. It kind of reminded me of the witch. I think they call a Lorona, if I'm remembering correctly, but whatever this was, it was either a demon or a supernatural entity. It felt evil. It looked evil. Why it was there. I don't know and I don't care. I just don't want to see it again. My name is Aaron, and I'm a police officer who often works with park rangers to maintain the safety and beauty of our local parks. One summer, I was partnered with Carl, a ranger from the Sierra Club and we were assigned to clear barbed wire at Squaw Meadows, south of Squaw Mountain in Oregon. We camped overnight on July 15th, eager to begin our work the next day. As night fell, the forest around us came alive with the sounds of nocturnal creatures. I'd always been intrigued by the local legends of the Wendigo, a mysterious and fearsome creature said to inhabit these woods. As we sat around the campfire, I decided to try tapping on a piece of wood hoping to communicate with the elusive creature. To my surprise, I heard a reply, a very loud rap coming from the roaring river valley below our campsite. Carl and I exchanged glances, our interest peaked. Next day, we continued our work, clearing the barbed wire that marred the pristine landscape. Our peaceful work was suddenly interrupted by the roar of a herd of motorcycles. The riders sped by at a higher elevation, their engines echoing through the valley. As the noise from the motorcycles faded, a strange sound reached my ears. It was a loud monkey, like whoop that seemed to come from the same direction. As the Wendigos rapped the night before, Carl looked at me, his eyes wide with astonishment. Did you hear that? He asked, his voice barely above a whisper. Yeah, I did, I replied, my heart pounding in my chest. It sounded like it came from the valley. We decided to investigate, cautiously, making our way down to the Roaring River Valley. As we ventured deeper into the woods, the whooping sound grew louder, but we could not pinpoint its source. The forest seemed to close in around us, as if it were hiding a secret that it did not want to share. Despite our efforts, we never found the source of the strange sound. 
we continued our work, clearing the barbed wire and ensuring the safety of the park for its visitors. Yet the memory of the Wendigo's reply and the eerie whooping sound stayed with me, a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk in the depths of the forest, though I may never know for certain whether I truly heard the Wendigo or not. The experience taught me to respect and appreciate the unknown. The wilderness holds secrets that may never be revealed, and I am grateful for the opportunity to experience its mysteries firsthand.